Thanks for watching our podcast. Here at Spear Consulting, our services include business strategy and human resources consulting. In HR, we offer executive search, executive coaching, and work psychology consulting. Please visit us at spiritmco.com, where we fulfill our clients' dreams virtuously. Enjoy your show. Welcome back to the Leading Virtuously podcast. So excited for this episode today. Lindsay, thank you so much for being with us. We are really excited to be able to connect with you. First question, always out of the gun, is who are you? Well, thank you, Christopher, for inviting me. I've been very much looking forward to this. My name is Lindsay Holland. I'm the director of HR at Map International, headquartered out of Brunswick, Georgia, with a small location in Atlanta. And we have right at 42 employees. So small employee footprint, but huge impact. We serve in and around 80 to 100 countries annually. And in fiscal year 2020, we impacted over 20 million people um, with medicines and medical supplies. So um, I have the opportunity to lead the HR function for MAP, um, and I've been here for a little over three years. And you're also uh, recovering from COVID as well. I'm recovering from COVID, <laughs> yes, just in January. So a little over two months out, and um, I don't think I'll be one of the long haulers, thankfully. So, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So, Lindsay, how did you get to this leadership position that you're in today? Um, long winding journey. Um, I don't think I'm alone in that um, for folks in leadership. Uh, I did not start in college thinking I'd go into human resources. I, in fact, was uh, in school for political science and had my eyes set on going into politics and campaigning mm -hmm. and worked on several campaigns at state level and at a national level. And um, I was led in a different direction. Um, I'm also a, a wife of uh, 13 years. Um, my husband and I married in 2007, and I've got two young boys that are twins. And I knew well before I met my husband that I wanted a family. And when you are in campaign life, you work 14-hour days, seven days a week. Um, and you usually have a gig for about two years, and then you're job hunting all over again. And it doesn't always come with benefits. It doesn't always come with perks. Um, and while I enjoyed the work thoroughly, I knew it wasn't going to be conducive, uh, to a lifestyle I wanted. So, um, I began the winding journey of going through retail and waited tables for a while. And, um, all along the way, I looked back and I realized I was picking up breadcrumbs for my career, um, in those early positions. Uh, but it was after my husband and I got married and we were moving that I decided that I needed to take the leap out of my management position with a retailer. Um, at the time it was um, a retailer called Parisians that was acquired by Belk um, department store and, um, and just completely leave with no position whatsoever. Um, we were gonna be living a little over an hour away and it was a matter of prayer, absolutely. Um, and we were moving to a town where the pastor who had married us had also just relocated and was going to be um, the pastor at this new church that we were going to be going to in our new town. And um, I, I can't describe it, but any other way, but, um, but God intervened. And as we arrived back, we, we went out of country for our honeymoon and we got back in. As soon as I landed the plane back in country, I received a voicemail from the pastor's wife who said, Lindsay, you have to call me right away. I think I have a job for you. 
And so I called Julia and, um, she says, Lindsay, I interviewed for this job and they offered me the job. And I told them I didn't want it. I said, wait a minute, what do you mean? And she said, well, I told them I'm not the right person for the job, but I know who is. Hmm. And um, she literally turned down a recruitment position with an organization called Express Employment Professionals. Are you, I don't know if you're familiar with Express, but they're the third lar- largest talent acquisition firm um, behind Manpower and uh, probably uh, Robert Half at this point. Um, Express is typically run number three um, in size globally um, for a search and um, temporary firm. And she had interviewed with them and turned down the role. I spoke with the the boss two days later and I had a job within three days, me being back in the country. So I literally fell into recruitment and uh, loved it instantly. It was hard. It was a big learning curve um, diving into that. But um, to this day, I really still truly have a heart for talent acquisition and staffing. Um, so I started out doing staffing for, um, for administrative and financial type positions and did a little bit of um, search as well. And I was with them for nearly six years when I really felt that um, I had done everything that I could do. It was a small family run uh, franchise. And so they had a total of 14 employees. Uh, and unless I was going to buy the franchisee out of his office, I I had tapped out all of my opportunities there. And at that point, um, I had just had my twin boys who were a year and a half old, and we were trying to find a way to get close to grandparents. And an opportunity um, came up to be able to move to where we are now in Southeast Georgia and worked for a hospitality company um, in management um, on the company side of things. So if you've ever been in staffing, you know, the, the client side of things has one feel and the staffing side of things has a different. And so I was really interested in being able to get inside an HR department and understand what that, uh, felt like. And so I took on that opportunity. And unfortunately, uh, the company that I worked with was going through a lot of turmoil and they were asking for me to be the change manager all the while. It was a huge growth opportunity for me. Um, and it wound up not being a conducive fit um, on both ends. Um, and unfortunately, 15 months after we had moved, bought a house, relocated, took mm-hmm. faith, it was not meant to be. Um, and so mutually agreed to part ways. And so I was left yet again um, for wondering what's next. Um, knew that I had had a lot of sales experience from my time at Express um, but didn't know that sales was really my direction. And I'd had now two, two positions in human resources and thought, you know, that probably is the direction I'm going to go, but really felt like I was at the crossroads. Um, and so I dug deep, um, faith absolutely played a part in that as well. Um, the Lord led me back into, um, a hobby that I've had since middle school, but had let falter. Um, I had gotten back into running. And it became a time of prayer and a time of worship and a time of centering and emotional healing um, after I had jumped out on a leap of faith for this position um, and then found myself empty handed. And um, through that process, I wound up um, getting um, three offers in three weeks after having been completely separated from my company. Hmm. And it was as if I was finding out that I probably should have seen the writing on the wall much sooner than I did <laughs> because there was plenty of opportunity around me. Um, and so I wound up joining on with Gulfstream Aerospace um, and their human resources team here in Brunswick. 
and had a wonderful opportunity there to really see how a top-notch HR team was run. Um, and not only just from this, the fact that it was just a hugely successful company, but also they were going through a change management process um, inside the organization, um, both from internal structure of HR, as well as how they were leading the organizational relationship between HR and, and the business. And so I got the opportunity to witness that and it was a wonderful learning opportunity. And there's still a lot of learnings that I bring forward to now. Um, but I joined on at a level that was slightly below where I was. And so I was looking for that next step for growth. And they are a corporation of corporations at Gulfstream. And so it was very much about tenure and very much about location. And I would have had to have commuted an hour and a half one way to be even eligible um, for a growth opportunity. And, or we would have had to relocate my family away from grandparents, away from aunts, away from then now the community we had built. So I began praying about what the Lord had in store for me. And I had, um, gotten the news that I had not received a promotional opportunity at Gulfstream when within a week I got a call from a headhunter about the position I'm at now. And all the reasons they had shared with me that I didn't get the promotion opportunity at Gulfstream were the exact personality traits that the headhunter said they were looking for. Things like um, the gumption, things like leading from the front instead of behind, things like having a strong sense of opinion, and things like that, where they really wanted um, in, in the previous role, someone that was more willing to fall in line. And that means, and I don't mean any harm to a previous employer by saying that, but you, we all understand working in different places, different personality sets fit better with different needs and, and times at different organizations. So this headhunter said they really wanted somebody that um, thinks creatively, thinks outside the box, is somebody that is um, going to push the organization forward and willing to take the, the leaps for change. Um, and so it very much felt uh, blessed um, in, in the words that he was using. It was one of those moments that based off of the conversation I had, it just left chills um, um, in the words that he used, he was looking for. And of course he had no idea. <laughs> uh, the, the way he was phrasing things um, was, was hand in glove for what I was looking for. Um, so I, from the point I had gotten the rejection from the promotion, it was one month later and I had received the offer um, from MAP International. And the offices are literally on the same road. Their addresses are on the same street. Um, so I was moving two minutes closer to my house and, um, and to a Christian organization. And one thing I did not mention about myself at the beginning is I'm a lifelong PK. Um, so preacher's kid, uh, my dad was a Methodist minister for 30 years. Um, so I've been a youth director in my time. I have done camp counseling. I have done, um, countless Bible studies. So to be able to join on with a Christian organization has felt like a full circle for me. I get to join my business objectives and things that I want to do personally for my career, all the while being in tandem with my faith. Um, so that is the long story about how I got to map and where I'm in the position I am in today. Awesome. Well, I have a ton of follow-up questions. Based <laughs> so thank you for sharing. The first being, you know, in the Catholic church, it's a little bit different in that, you know, our, our, 
our pastors and preachers would be priests. Mm -hmm. And so thus, um, it's kind of like a little bit dissimilar in that. So the laity, which, which I would be included in that is, you know, non-priest, non, non-religious, right. usually don't hold, they don't hold those positions. Right. Um, but nonetheless, you know, being in ministry and, and, you know, uh, loving Jesus and, and growing in ministry in that way mm -hmm. and, and loving um, others, I kind of feel like a preacher in a sense, if you will. Right, uh, sure. In that regard. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think about like my own children that are now eight and six and that are going, mm. they, they basically, from the time they could recollect God was, or your dad was on fire for, for religion and for Jesus. And so mm -hmm. just kind of curious, like what that maturation has looked like for yourself being a PG right. and growing, yeah. you know, through your life, was there ever a period where you, you weren't identifying as a Christian or some of those hard years before kind of like, yeah, um, being there old? have certainly been times of questioning. Um, it's never been to a point where I would not consider myself a Christian. Um, but my walk has certainly been um, unique, I think, uh, because there's never been a time where prayer has never, hasn't been part of my home. There's never been a time where, um, weekly worship hasn't been a part of our normal, um, pattern, both growing up and now with my, my own kids who are eight about to be nine. So, um, very similar household years. Um, but at the same time, you know, I get to college and, you know, I'm very thankful for that opportunity for my eyes to be widened and you realize the bigger world that's out there. And um, having been in a bubble for so long and just thinking that everyone was like me. I, I grew up in small towns where I, I'd venture to guess 80 to 90% would have called themselves or identified themselves as Christian. Mm. Um, and so I certainly had no sense for, you know, the other things that were out there. And I think it strengthened my faith now to have gone through that period of questioning um, because it has forced me to refine my faith. It's, um, I think I, I no longer take it for granted. Um, and I certainly see it in a much more mature set of eyes than I did younger years. Um, it was just a given. Um, so I don't have the benefit of that aha moment in my adulthood of saying, you know, I have a moment of being saved because Jesus has always been there for me. Mm -hmm. Um, from the earliest of my days, I remember even as a child feeling him, feeling his physical presence. So I know at a very early age, he had, had a presence in my life. Um, but it's, it's certainly not the same as, as some might call, you know, their, their moment of, of being saved. Um, in fact, um, I think you may have spoken with my boss, Steve Sterling, and he was inviting our senior leadership team at one of our retreats to give our testimony. And I'm sure I was the one that he did not expect to have like issues with this question because he knew the, the history I came from. But I said, Steve, I, I don't think I have a testimony. I'm just, I'm confused. <laughs> you hear people talk about their, their coming to faith, right? And but I've always been in faith. So I don't even know how to approach um, this conversation. There's always been a relationship. And so, um, so yeah, it certainly matured and deepened. Um, and there's been that, those times of just really wondering that, you know, my goodness, what does this mean to have been, you know, um, thrust into a faith where it hasn't been a choice, but it absolutely has been a choice. And I think that's what I didn't understand at the time is that um, in college, when I was thinking that I, that I was just given this, that it wasn't given, it was, it was honed. It was, um, 
it was matured, it was fostered by my parents and I was making the choice all along the way. Um, and then I continued to make that choice um, that it's part of my lifestyle. Well, that gives me some reassurance in what I was hoping to hear because uh, I, dissimilar to yourself, had a hard conversion experience. And yeah. even though growing up, you know, in a family that that went to mass weekly, we didn't really have a prayer life as a family. And then from mm. 10 to 30, went through some really uh, rough years yeah. there. And yeah. so, you know, d- you know, don't wish that upon anyone. Um, and so looking at my own children, you know, just continuing to hope and pray for them that they'll always be, you know, close to our Absolutely. Lord. Yeah. But you never know. And, and, and so yeah. stories like this, you know, encourage me that it Absolutely. is possible. That someone- well, yeah. And you start to resent the fact that you feel like it's an obligation at some point as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you reach that age, whether it be 18 or 20 or whenever it is you're reaching that moment, I think that you have to decide for yourself. Um, even though you may have accepted Jesus, I think uh, we talk about our, our walk as, as a continual walk, right? We never feel like we've arrived. And so I think that we always are continuing to have to work on it. And it's a it's conscious decision. Just like I wake up every morning to consciously decide to continue to be married to my husband, that I'm choosing to love him every day. My marriage doesn't work because I decided to put my ring on 13 years ago. It works because I make that decision every day. And so just because I made that decision to continue to follow Christ at eight and 10 and 13, um, doesn't mean at some point I had to really continue to wrestle with that. Um, I think marriages also continue to have those, those straining moments. And I, I think our faith walk is very similar. Well, thank you. That's a beautiful analogy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you also talked about a season where you were just, you got back into running and then tie that mm. to prayer. Can you, can you dive, can you give us some more details about what that looked like? Sure. So I was at my church on a Sunday morning and we were doing something a little atraditional at this um, Sunday school. Um, They were doing a, um, a fitness and faith element. And so we literally came in our track clothes to, um, to church. Um, we always, we all felt a little awkward about it because at Methodist churches, you don't come casually typically, <laughs> but Methodist church you go to. Um, and so, uh, but we did, we showed up in our track clothes and one of the, the guys in our Sunday school, um, was a personal trainer and has his own facility and all of that. So he had offered to do a series on fitness and faith. And so it was already part of topic of discussion. And I was just going through this, um, breakup with my employer and, um, was realizing that I was experiencing a number of things, um, emotionally distraught, um, career wise, feeling very exposed, um, feeling like, um, that maybe I don't belong. Maybe I can't cut it. All of those things of seeds of doubt were beginning to be planted. And all the while, I don't think I realized, I mean, hindsight, I can look back on it, but health, I was not healthy. Hmm. Um, weight wise was one element, but there were other things that were going on. I had developed, um, tremendous, um, back issues, like muscular, like knots that to this day, I haven't completely gotten rid of from just tension upon tension upon tension. Um, I had developed an incredible ear and jaw issue from clenching. I got, um, sinus infections. So there was a lot of things going on that I look back and realize it was all stress. <laughs> I was not in a healthy environment. 
um, it wasn't a place that I should have continued to stay because it was really breaking me down. And, and they say that about stress, don't they? That, I mean, it, it begins to manifest itself in some way. If you don't acknowledge it and deal with the stress, it will manifest itself. And so it certainly was for me and weight was one of those things. And so I, I mentioned, I just had twins and I had just gone through this very stressful career phase. So I don't, it did not feel like I looked like myself at the time. And so I was at the Sunday school class and there were some girls um, that were there saying, yeah, I think I'm going to be doing this half marathon in November. And I was just overhearing them. They were not my close circle of friends, but knew them well enough. And so I started asking them about it and, um, and they just invited me along and said, you should do it. And I, at that moment, I felt, I felt God say to me, you need this. And, you know, that wave of realization of this is something I can commit to. This is, can be a deadline that I can focus on that is outside of just getting circled in on the career search, a way to keep myself healthy, physically, mentally. Um, and I just began to pour myself into it. And it became a saving process for me um, out of that really um, blank, could have been a blank period. Um, and I wound up starting my new position with Gulfstream in September and I ran the race in November. Um, so it just felt like this wonderful bookend to a really hard time. Uh, and if you've ever run a race, you know that the training can be very intensive, especially if it's a race of any distance, significant distance. And so you're not doing this one time a week. You're not doing this three times a week. It's four and five and six times a week. You're, you're doing some sort of training. Hmm. And so it, it's repetitive and it's, it's physically taxing and it tests your abilities. And so it really, it forced me to rely on this commitment I'd made to God in that Sunday morning of saying I was going to do this. And sometimes in those training sessions, looking at him going, I cannot believe <laughs> you talked me into this. Um, but it, it very much became um, a relationship builder between me and God. And, um, and also just that realization that he was building me back slowly, but surely, um, not just physically, uh, because he's not after to make me who I want to be in my earthly fashion. Um, but if my body works better then my mind works better, then my heart works better. Um, I can be a better mom. I can be a better HR person. I can be um, a better witness for Christ. So, um, and it has continued to be a, a mental and spiritual um, walk. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing. I, I love that story. Mm -hmm. So when you were actually running, was there prayer involved? In oh, sure. What that looked like? Yeah. Sometimes it was worship. Sometimes you turn on the loud music with the really fast beats and you're going and you feel like, um, your spirit, your feet, your heart, the pavement, the wind, all of a sudden becomes hundred percent in sync. And you feel, um, at risk of sounding cheesy, you feel at one with all of that. And you feel like that motion is just carrying you and you feel that spirit moving through you. Um, and those are some of the times that I felt the closest, um, to the Lord. And so that worship was absolutely an element. And there were times where 
you know, I was struggling with wherever I was. And I mean, you know, I, I continue to run to this day that absolutely has um, remained a part of my path. So no matter whether the kids are driving me crazy or my husband or something at work is stressing me out, it's a place that I can go and um, I put in my music and, and there's a conversation that can begin. Um, and I, I sometimes wonder if I'm undiagnosed ADHD. And so when there's nothing else to look at and my feet are busy and my hands are busy, there's nothing else to do. And so it, it helps for me to also get centered as well. Um, so it's very meditative for me. Um, and so it, it allows for me to really relax into that conversation. That's awesome. That's an awesome story. Mm -hmm. I actually got my prayer language and praying in tongues while out on the run. So no, really. (laughs) So you can relate. Oh, I can relate completely. (laughs) Like when you're like just feeling like everything is just clicking and and with the universe. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. as you were like describing that, I totally like just brought me back to that to that. Uh Was running early morning runs and Uh so yeah, that's awesome. And, and I, I, I knew what the answer was, but, you know, for those that have never done prayer runs or don't know oh. what that looks like, oh, I wanted to ask a question so you could, you could share that with our listeners for maybe people haven't done it before. And, and they are like, yeah. and it doesn't have to be for speed. It doesn't have to be for distance. It's just about, um, keeping your body in a place where you don't have the other normal distractions. And for me, motion helps me get to that place. Um, for some it's, you know, being in a quiet room. Um, but that's hard for me. Um, you know, if I'm right about self-diagnosing my ADHD, my mental capacity just has this tendency to be all over the place, but for whatever reason, when I'm in that motion, it feeds my, my mental stability just enough that I can really zero in on, on the purpose at hand. So that motion really does help. Um, and so it, it, if, somebody is not of a physical ability where they feel like running is an option. Walking is just as good. I mean, it's, it's all about that, that motion and that, that dedicated time. And do you ever do periods of offering it up? I know that's maybe universal in the church, but sometimes I'll be like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling like walking this hill and I'm struggling and my knees hurt, my back's hurt, but you know, Lord, I'm going to give it. Yes. Yes. I mean, if you're training for a race, your, your, your feet are killing you, your ankles, you've got a hamstring injury, your toenails are falling off. I'm sorry. (laughs) All these things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, you're going through all this physical torture and there's so many parallels, right? with life and what you go through when you're going through a physical strenuous goal like that. Um, so yeah, you do offer it up and you just have to say, Lord, you know, do I need to quit? Do I, should I be pushing through? And, um, and there's that, that decision point, right? Um, so, but so, sometimes it's, it's prayer and just saying, Lord, take this from me. Or sometimes it's asking him for guidance, you know, I, you know, should I be giving myself some grace here? Um, because sometimes those physical limitations should also be seen as signs and indications and yields, um, rather than just a, a hands up, take it from me. I, I think that God gives us both in, in both occasions, what he's saying to us is tap into me, listen to me, not under your own understanding, right? Listen to me. Um, and so we, we don't know what those signals are supposed to intend, um, until we, we look to hear from him. Very good. Well, thank you for sharing. So Lindsay, as we talked about, this podcast is all about business and virtue. 
Mm-hmm. So it's not a running podcast. <laughs> it's not a running podcast. But a lot of our a lot of our listeners are people that are in managerial and leadership yep. roles. And yep. so one of those things that is going to be anticipated is stress. Sure. Management, how do you deal with it? So talking about that and talking about prayer runs and running and, and the excellence behind that, I think is definitely key mm-hmm. to that. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing. And yeah, so, but yeah, wanted to hear from you kind of where in your own work, and I know you kind of alluded to this a little bit, mm-hmm. Steve, your CEO has been on the podcast uh, for mm-hmm. the Virtuously podcast. And, but wanted to hear from you specifically now the person that's leading human resources for the organization. Right. Where does business and virtue intersect for you, Lindsay? Oh, on a number of different levels. I love this question because it's, um, it's in ways you'd expect and it's ways you wouldn't expect in small ways and in big. So there are things that we try to do that are very, um, very blatant and blunt and clear. Um, we, because we're a Christian organization, we have the freedom to be able to have monthly worship services. Um, and we do that. Um, and that is our monthly business meeting. Um, and so you don't get as, as any more literal than that. Um, and so we, we have worship songs together and we have a preacher come in and we do those, um, each month. Uh, and then we also have a voluntary devotional each week that we offer up to our employees. Um, and when we started going virtual because of COVID, we offered a bookend on Thursday mornings, um, to start the week with prayer normally, which is our normal devotion time is Monday mornings. And then we bookended it with just a very brief, you know, prayer request type um, call on Thursdays as well. Um, so you can begin and end the week in prayer. And those are all voluntary as you're able type things. Um, but just giving people that opportunity to go to that place with their coworkers is, has been incredibly powerful for us. And then there's the corporate ways that we try to intersect, um, the business of what we do, um, through our, our corporate values, um, are all based in scripture. So we have five corporate values and each, each one has a scriptural reference. And those are then embedded into their performance reviews. So that comes up at minimum twice a year, um, their mid-years and their annuals. Um, but then throughout the year as well, because they're, they have to think about how their goals are aligning with the, the corporate values as well as um, the, the goals that the organization has for tangible results. Uh, so they have it embedded in that way as well. Um, and in addition to that, you know, when I do recruitment, um, that whole process is bathed in prayer. And so we're constantly praying that the Lord will provide the right candidate for MAP who will be able to lead his ministry um, so that whoever is onboarded is fully aware that they've, they've been brought in through a process of prayer and that's done through with management involved. Um, and so those business decisions are completely intertwined um, with our virtue and our faith. Um, and then from a day-to-day perspective, it's in policy that we live by what we call the Matthew 18 principle, that you go to the one who's offended you versus you necessarily coming and filling out a form at HR. Um, so there's those daily activities that we ask for people to, and I think even in the secular world, that's very beneficial to, to know that um, somebody's willing to confront you directly than going to a third party first. I think that would hold up in a secular environment just as, as well. Um, that, you guys don't promote having people talk behind each other's backs? We don't, you know, <laughs> and, and amazing, amazingly, it's worked out really well for us. <laughs> 
Um, now, I always offer myself up as a sounding board. I say, look, if you need someone to get your courage up before you go and have this conversation, absolutely use me as a resource, but I, I don't need to be that go-between, you know? Um, and so we, we try to instill that courage. So through um, daily activities, through business decisions, um, in the way that we um, organize our company structure, excuse me, our strategic plan each year, um, that is done at a retreat that is also very, very um, centered on scripture and prayer. And so before any of the company plans are made strategically, that is also part of the process. Ooh, that is awesome. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so encouraged and uh, so many um, great tidbits there. Were you part of the organization when they were coming up with the five uh, corporate values and what did that look like? So I was absolutely part of the rollout. They developed the words themselves and the con concepts of the words um, in 2016, mm -hmm. 2016, and I joined in 2018. So what was going on when I joined in 2018 is they were wanting to simply provide the visuals and the building of the values. And um, I asked Steve for a big timeout on that wish because I said, I, I'm not about hanging signs. I mean, to me, that's the quickest way to devalue a value is you know just hanging on a wall with zero meeting or content behind it. Um, and so I led a cross divisional um, uh, team, I guess, for lack of a better word, to come up with how are we going to embed this? Um, what is this going to look like? So if we're going to do something physical, then how do we give that physicality meaning and substance? And so we went through a process and we had people from our distribution center. We had people from finance. We had people from our fundraising team. We had people um, from support staff that lent their ideas because it was really important to me that it wasn't Lindsay, the new HR person, making her mind up for them. It needed to be something that felt collaborative. And that's one of our values <laughs> as well. So we identified spaces in the building where activity was happening that represented that value. And so um, one of our values, passion, is represented in our chapel. And um, that's where our weekly devotion happens. That's where our monthly worship service happens. That's where we get together as an entire team when we do our annual meeting called Day of Prayer. Um, where we pray over every single donor and partner um, that helps us do our work um, and, and live our mission. Um, so passions represented there. And then we have a center of the office, dead center is collaboration. And we created a space where there's several seating areas and there's now a puzzle table that continues to get used heavily throughout the day. So our team's building puzzles together and it's more of a lighthearted um, approach to that value, but inviting people into the same space, essentially. Um, and then diligence out in our distribution center, the, the guys that run that DC are just phenomenal. We, uh, up until the last three months, we had six people that got out the shipments to over 20 million people hmm. this year, wow. six people. Um, and they do it with excellence. Um, and so we felt like there was no better place in the building for diligence to be represented. Um, accountability conveniently is hung above finance. <laughs> so, but in addition to that, we have um, a digital signage board right next to accountability that has all of the latest. I was just working on this actually before I dialed in 
all the latest numbers for each month. So how many people have we served? What's our net revenue? Um, how many units are going out? And, and people know what we are supposed to be doing each year. That's part of our goals each year. And that is right there loud and proud for every visitor, for every tour, for every guest, for every employee that comes through, you can see we're, we're not hiding it. Um, and so we've got those up there as well. So that's how we did it. We embedded it into a way that it, it had meaning and context with it. And so when we talk about map accountability, um, there's, there's meaning behind it. It's, it's not just corporate speak. Well, I love that. We had a, another guest on Matthew Tebow, who this mm. is kind of a selfish self-promotion, but I love the way that he communicates it. So Matthew is our, um, uh, the partner for, he, he leads strategic planning for Spirit Consulting. Mm. The way he, he communicates it is that, you know, anytime that we have anything that we put up the wall, as you were saying, it's, yeah. it is a very fast way for people to not be engaged, but instead of it That's being right. a poster on the wall, it should be a mirror. And that yes. when people see it yes. they see themselves into that. Yes. And that's yes. the way that our corporate values and mission statements and, and vision needs to be for, for all of our employees. And so it sounds Agreed. like you guys did an outstanding job of being able to identify those, those different areas mm -hmm. um, and then really helping to kind of cement that into part yeah. of the employees' walk with the organization too. So kudos to yep. you too. Thanks. So uh, Lindsay, the, um, yeah, what's just also coming to mind is, is looking at your own career and, and, you know, just communicating like, you know, working for a nonprofit organization that is, you know, rescuing all of these uh, medicines for people throughout the world, such a virtuous and wonderful thing mm -hmm. that you guys are doing. But oftentimes I feel like maybe some people might look at that and be like, well, you know, look at, you know, they're, they're scratching a level that I'm never able to achieve within mm -hmm. my own life. Just kind of curious, like, can you tell us a little bit about the walk and, and some of the vices or struggles that, I mean, you, I know you've already talked a yeah. little bit about that, yeah. but some of the things that you've had to overcome in order to feel like in this place of virtuous leadership that you are in today. Oh my gosh. Um, I, I think daily, I have to remind myself that yes, you are competent, Lindsay, you got here because you do know what you're doing and there is wisdom that you can provide. And um, I don't think I'm quite to the place of imposter syndrome as you hear people talk about so often, but I, I think that th that constant um, need for reminder that, um, that you do have something of value because even though you say people external to my organization may look at this as a level that they can't scratch, I'd say that I look at my peers, um, especially the ones that have been here for decades. Um, our VP of global giving has been here for 22 years. Our VP of operations has been here 27 years and the amount of time they've dedicated to this organization and the amount of knowledge they have. Um, so I kind of feel like I'm in that posture as well. And so I would just encourage folks to realize for one, um, even those on the inside have to continue to remind themselves that they do bring things of value. And I think that's been one of my biggest leadership lessons as well, is that um, leaders don't magically have the confidence to know what's right and wrong and good and bad for the organization that it takes the ability to show up confidently and, and trust in your own skills and instincts to be able to do a good job. And when I do a poor job is when I begin to allow that doubt to creep in. 
and when I don't trust in my instincts because it creates five times as many questions as is needed in those situations. Um, COVID is a great example of just being in an entirely new environment. And when I was trusting my instincts and and just allowing myself to relax into my own skill set is when I was doing the best. And when I was fearful, I was doing the wrong thing or not thinking of everything or um, second guessing my decisions is when I was having the hardest time making decisions or delaying decisions. Um, and, and so I think through this last year, it's really brought that out into relief for me. Well, I love that. Thank you for, for sharing. Mm-hmm. And yes, I would agree that when we are confident and we're feeling good in a headspace that we can do our best work. And yeah, I think that COVID has definitely brought a lot of fear into many, not only just yeah. in the workplace, into our home lives and mm-hmm. parenting. And, and so I think that's important to, I, I think that's been one of the, you know, I find that each podcast episode has a couple of themes that are kind of interweaving throughout the episode. Mm. That is kind of seeming to be one that you've brought up a couple of times about like stress and, and about fear and, mm. and what you do with that. And then right. how, do you, how do you overcome that, especially in the workplace? Um, right. And so, so yeah. Yeah. So for me, what I've begun to realize is that um, my choice um, to be afraid is my choice and that a situation is what it is. And I have to find a way to respond to that situation without the need to emotionally respond. And so what I've begun to realize is that for one in my faith, I am enough in him. I don't have to make up for any part of myself. So I can be confident, not because Lindsay is so great, but because I rest in one who is enough. And so then therefore I'm not making up for anything. I'm not having to overcompensate. I'm not having to fill gaps. I'm not having to boost my ego. I'm not having to do any of those things. And it allows me to completely dissociate myself from the emotion of the situation. Um, and this is still a muscle I'm, I'm learning to flex, but it's begun to really um, start to really resonate with me that being afraid, being angry, being anxious, being stressed are all choices. And the situation will still be there, whether I'm stressed or anxious or afraid or angry. Um, and if I look at it this way, if, um, my child comes to me, he's scraped his knee, he's fallen off of a scooter and he's, he's screaming, he's upset. Um, I can be upset with him and his knee will still be scraped (laughs) and it can make the process so much harder. Um, and so I think in business decisions, if I remind myself in those moments that I, I need to be able to remove that and simply um, deal with the, the process at hand. Um, and I think my faith has helped me realize that as well, because I'm not having to be enough. It's not about me. It's about him and, and what he supplies me with. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for, for sharing that with our listeners mm-hmm. and uh, just so encouraged by this episode today and all that you've mm-hmm. shared with us. How can people get a hold of the work that you and Stephen and MAP International are doing? Um, yeah. Yeah, we've got a lot of avenues. Um, first and foremost website, of course, is www.map.org. 
Um, so that of course is the plethora of information, but we're very active on all the social networks, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, LinkedIn as well. I've, I'm very active myself on LinkedIn. So please come find me, Lindsay Holland um, on LinkedIn. And um, so like us and follow us, absolutely, because our marketing team does a phenomenal job of posting stories. And so if you like to follow those feel-good stories of, of how we're reaching these millions of people around the globe and, and what those faces look like uh, that are getting touched by these medicines and medical supplies, our social media feed is a phenomenal place to go. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. And we'll definitely include that into the show notes as mm -hmm. well. So Lindsay, thank you so much for being Thank up. you, Christopher. I so appreciate this opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, thank you and have a, have a blessed day. You too. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed the episode where we discussed all things going bald. <laughs> Just joking. The Leading Virtuously podcast. If you enjoyed the episode and the podcast, will you please subscribe on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Or you could also share it with a friend. That would be tubular. I hope you have an awesome day.